Here we go. He is John Adams. I'm Dave Hooker. The Vol Report brought to you by Biles Automotive Group and Big Orange Phillies. Hit that like and subscribe button. Share as well. We greatly appreciate it so we can visit with you. The biggest game since when for the Vols. That's what we will discuss today. And John, I can go ahead and start it with you have to go back two decades to even find a game that would compare to Tennessee, Georgia. That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's even bigger than the uh, Butch Jones's first game against Vanderbilt in 13. Yeah, <laughs> There hadn't been a lot of big games, uh, obviously, in the last 14, 15 years. But what's interesting about this, Dave, when you had those the 2001 game against Florida, which was a huge game, All the 1998 games, particularly one against Arkansas when both were unbeaten in November. A lot of big games in that season. But there was a precursor to that. You had pretty big games leading up to that, pretty good seasons, uh, nationally ranked teams, top five teams even. This has seemingly come out of nowhere. And to think that within a month, Tennessee has played Alabama in a matchup of unbeatens and now Georgia in a matchup of unbeatens. It's really heady stuff for Tennessee fans. And it's almost as though they're still kind of struggling to adjust. They're, they're loving it. But I, the word I hear a lot is surreal, surreal when Tennessee was anointed as the number one team by the college football playoff committee this week. Uh, Tennessee's just not used to this. It was it's kind of like a golf analogy. You've been playing on a part three municipal course, and all of a sudden, hey, welcome to Augusta National. You're in the running for the Masters. It, it it just seems it seems as though it came out of nowhere, and kind of in a way, it did. No, I agree with that, John. And I I didn't use the word surreal, but I was talking to my son before the college football playoff announcement, and. I said, I really think they'll be number one for two reasons. One, they should be based off uh, what they've done in their resume. And I want to get your thoughts on that. But two, it's a good story. And you're able to kind of, it's the optics of it. You put Georgia to the side a second. Um, But I was not surprised at all they were number one. I'm overall surprised by this season. I use the word surreal with my son. But I'm not surprised they were picked number one. Were you at all? No, not at all. I thought if Tennessee hadn't been number one, the committee would have suffered a a huge drop in credibility uh, because they're supposed to be above, and they aren't necessarily above it, but they're supposed to be above the name on the jersey, past track record. Uh, they're supposed to look at what a team has accomplished. And I didn't think it did that with all the teams, but it did that with Tennessee. Tennessee, to me, was a clear-cut number one. It doesn't matter if you think Ohio State or Georgia looks better to the naked eye or that you think, well, if they went head-to-head, they'd probably beat Tennessee. That shouldn't factor into this. What should factor into it is who's done the most and who's been impressive doing that. And Tennessee's victory over Alabama distinguishes it from everybody else. So I would have been stunned if Tennessee hadn't been ranked number one. Um, 
stunned is a little stronger than me, but I would have been surprised. Uh, I, I will say that. So let's talk about the biggest games in Tennessee football history and in particular the prelude up to them because I can't think of one more specific and I'm going to tell you why on each one of these as as we go through them some games that John and I picked out before the show and it's brought to you by Biles Automotive Group. Biles Automotive Group is all about integrity there on Callahan Drive. Biles Automotive Group We'll absolutely have you in the best vehicle. You'll have the best selection and service department is unmatched. Integrity. They want, they need, they appreciate your business. Right there on Callahan, Files Automotive Group. Hit that like, subscribe, and share button. We greatly appreciate that. John, let's start with 98 Arkansas, which it seems weird to pick that game out, but that was a game that, as far as the prelude, I think is most comparable because Arkansas, as you pointed out for the show, and I remember they were undefeated. They could have been in the BCS national championship game. If things broke the right way, that was one that I remember the prelude leading up to it more than even say the 98 national, the 98 Florida game in which they won. John, I really thought that most fans thought they were going to show up and Florida was going to beat them without Peyton Manning. But the Arkansas game that you brought up is the one that stands out to me as the, the best comparison of what's going on right now. And Arkansas was kind of in Tennessee's position that year. It sort of came out of nowhere under Houston Nutt. Nobody, nobody saw that coming. And that was really a good team. I don't think it recovered from that Tennessee loss. It, it pretty much collapsed after that game. But before that game and leading up to it, and then during the game, Arkansas matched Tennessee uh, very well and was, of course, on the verge of winning it until a ill-fated uh, fourth quarter doing the Razorbacks. But, yeah, the thing about it, Tennessee's bigger games in the past, I mean, certainly when you go back and look at the 98 season, the unbeaten championship season, Florida came in September, and that was – there's so much football to be played after that. So it, 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 yeah, that was probably as good a team as Tennessee played all year. Syracuse in the opener was a big game. Even Georgia going into the game looked like a big game. It was in Athens. Uh, Georgia had just upset LSU in a close game. A lot of people thought Georgia might beat Tennessee. Uh, and Tennessee had a great game one handily. Uh, but, the the November element of it to me is is what makes this game uh, so significant and made that Arkansas game so significant. No, Arkansas wasn't as good as Florida, but the timing of the game was a big factor. Yep, great place to watch the game on Saturday is Big Orange Phillies. Check them out. It is family-friendly, and Big Orange Phillies has fantastic food and don't forget that they've got billiards they've got darts so if tennessee is just blowing georgia out you've got something else to do that's big orange phillies right there on maynardville pike you need to check them out so john what turned out to be i believe the most costly loss in the history of tennessee's football program was the 2001 sec championship game so if you look at that game they Leading up to it, again, the prelude, it's later in the season, like this game, like the Tennessee-Georgia game, 
But the prelude up to it was Tennessee's just going to walk the dog on some guy that's uh, name rhymes with Rick Babin. And um, he was the LSU head coach. Who's that guy? He was at Michigan State. And the prelude up to that was like, that was just, a, you know, trivial. They were going to move on and play Miami in the national championship game. So, again, a huge game, but it, the prelude up to it doesn't feel like this one at all. No, you're right, Dave. I mean, Tennessee come off an epic win over Florida that when it was a humongous underdog and one in the swamp. Um, looking back, and, and Florida almost pulled that game out at the end, even though Tennessee had clearly been the better team for the duration of the game. Uh, if Florida would have won that game, I don't believe it would have lost to LSU, and I believe it would have played for the Miami played Miami for the national championship. Uh, and I think it would have had a shot against the Hurricanes as good as they were. I don't think Tennessee would have matched up as well against Florida in, in that situation. But it was uh, it was a strange combination there. The <laughs> tremendous win, the exhilaration from that for the fans finally beating beating Florida and beating Florida in such a convincing manner, controlling the line of scrimmage, only winning by two, but really controlling the game and establishing its superiority. But then you followed that up with LSU, which Nick Saban was no household world at, word at the time. Uh, LSU lost its number one running back, its number one quarterback in the first half. Tennessee had a lead and then managed to just fumble that game away in an awful second half. And so you're right. And really, that was a watershed moment for Tennessee football because that was its last time in the national spotlight. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's had winning teams since then, played in a few SEC championship games, but nobody looked at Tennessee anymore from that point on until right now. Nobody looked at Tennessee as they're in the hunt. They, you know, watch out for Tennessee. They can compete for a championship. Uh, no, they were no longer nationally prominent after that game. So it was a, it was a real turning point for the program. It it definitely was. And um, I, I look back on that game, and I'm probably part of the reason because I went ahead and booked my Marriott. And in LA at Manhattan Beach for the Rose Bowl to play Miami at halftime. If you remember, also Rohan Davy and LeBrandon Tofield at halftime were announced, which they usually didn't do that. They announced in the press box that they weren't going to be available for the second half and used the word, I think, strange, uh, maybe. How about just dumb the way that was handled in the second half and not being able to stop Matt Mock on the draw, but then. You had a radio GM that handed out roses after the Florida game, before the SEC championship game, made sure they were there at Tom Black track. It was really like the whole community, to some extent, lost some IQ points. Whereas it feels like <laughs> it feels like this group, it feels like Josh Heupel, this is what's different to me. It feels like they're the smartest dudes in the room. Uh, very much so. And I, I did a lot of planning uh, on the Saturday afternoon leading up to that SEC championship game. I booked a lot of flights for the new Sentinel staff uh, for L.A. And also made reservations in Las Vegas for a, a Christmas in Las Vegas, followed by a drive to 
Pasadena, California, and a week in the sun in Pasadena in a national championship game. Where so we you could say at? I was kind of Where invested. did we end up? Atlanta? Is that right? What? But they dropped pretty significantly. Where did We ended up back in Atlanta, didn't we? No, we ended up in Orlando against okay. a, bad Mich- a really bad Michigan team, a very slow, slow Michigan team. So, yeah, it wasn't – it was a, it was a huge drop from a Vegas Christmas and a California New Year's to just another trip to the Citrus Bowl, <laughs> which was quite common back then. But, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, it, it, and it's different though this year. And you bring up Josh Heupel. That's, this is the first time in all the years I've covered Tennessee football going into a game where, and I've been doing this all year, I go into the game thinking the opponent has to worry about Tennessee's coach, has to deal with that. I never felt that way before. I thought just the opposite. For example, when Tennessee was good, Florida was good, and I'm thinking, well, how's Tennessee going to deal with Steve Spurrier? I mean, he was a factor. You looked at him as a game a game day obstacle, anybody playing Florida. What's Steve Spurrier going to do? What will he cook up? What will he concoct to influence this game? Now I see it just the opposite. I don't think what's Kirby Smart going to do to impact this game. I think what can Kirby Smart do to contend with Josh Heupel? Because Josh Heupel's on the reins of one of the most explosive college offenses we've ever seen in the SEC. And I think that's the main reason so many people feel differently about this program now. It's because of Josh Heupel and because he has a system and because we've talked about this before, but he's just a very creative offensive guy and he's, he's comfortable in this situation. Totally comfortable. He even said on the college football playoff selection show, that's a mouthful. He even <laughs> said that he they've got to find something better to call that thing. But he, he even said that he met with his team and, and told them that, hey, I just want to let you know, they're probably going to be pretty high up there, maybe number one. <laughs> and it was just so uh, – it almost seemed like routine, like he had done it five or six times before. And, um, John, I was talking to somebody who – Uh, does some consulting work in terms of hiring coaches because a lot of athletic directors, rightly so, don't feel competent in hiring football coaches. So they go to these consulting firms. And I said, uh, this Josh Heupel guy, would he be a good fit in the NFL? And he said he would be a fantastic fit, and here's why. It's not because of what he runs now. It's because of his willingness to learn and adjust. He said the offense that he ran at Oklahoma, and there were some behind-the-scenes things going on there, but he said that's not the same offense that Josh Heupel is running right now. And he said because he learned from that. And he said that every defense will catch up to an offense, but what the NFL is looking for is creative offensive minds that are willing to adjust, and Heupel has shown that. I don't know if you can offer any insight because – Josh Heupel knows what he wants to do and his goals, and I don't think he's necessarily shared that publicly. Most coaches don't. 
at some point should Tennessee fans concern not about Oklahoma that he would return to that school, but that he would return that he would go to the NFL. Well, I guess they could be a little concerned, but I wouldn't spend a lot of time worrying about it right now. <laughs> uh, I think one of the things that Josh Heupel knows, having played at Oklahoma and having won a national championship there. And now having experienced success at Tennessee is in college, you have an advantage at the better programs with recruiting. You can control your roster. Uh, you can't do that as well in the NFL, the, the order, the draft, the, uh, uh, all that stuff, free agency. I do think he would make a really good NFL coach. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of Andy Reid. Mm. Uh, offensive mind, a guy that doesn't seem to to get too distraught or too elated depending on the outcomes of game. You've got to have that attitude in the NFL. I mean, you can't get suicidal because you lose a game in the NFL, no matter how good your team is. The the league is so balanced. So it's you got you're in it for the long haul. You've got to be able to handle ups and downs. And I also think it's a cliche when we talk about a player's coach. I mean, what does that really mean? I mean, is somebody – you ever hear everybody described as a non-player's coach? Like, man, he really had it in for us. He just tortured us before the game. You know, he hated us, every one of us. No, you never hear that. You think of somebody that brings out the best in players. But I think – I think he would be easy to play for. There's a lot of, there's not, he doesn't get bogged down and concerned with peripheral stuff. He's just coaching ball. And I, I think that's what he could do in the NFL and that's what he would bring to the NFL. But, uh, you don't need to worry fans about that. Tennessee, Tennessee fans have, uh, had enough to worry about in the last, uh, the last 17 years or so. So losing a cup. And that's one worry they never had. They never had when they hired, True. when they hired Derek Dooley, they didn't think, man, I don't know. We could lose this guy to the NFL really fast. Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. He's probably looking at the NFL right now. No, it's not a concern to he's had in the past. Well, Philip Fulmer supposedly had a lot of inquiries from the NFL in the nineties. Yeah, none of those were real verified, were they? I, I don't remember anything concrete on that, but yeah, I'm sure the NFL was beckoning at the door of the, uh, Philip Fulmer. Yes, um, maybe that was leaked by the Fulmer camp. It's quite possible. So has there been a game, the only one that I can come up with that is is similar and it did, and I don't think there was near the confidence level, but the closest one I'm going to pick of all the ones we've mentioned is the 01 Florida game because you that's the closest I can come up with. But I don't think there was a confidence level. I believe that Tennessee was a 14 and a half point favorite, or was it 12 and a half point underdog? Excuse me, underdog. Was it 14 and a half or 12 and a half point underdog? It was 17. It was 17. even more than that. Yeah. That should have been a blowout. And, uh, if Tennessee had played against Florida the way it played against LSU, Florida probably would have won by 17 points, but it didn't play out that way. So the exercise was to come up with the closest to with the closest prelude to a big game. I don't think there is one. 
No, because you consider all the factors, Dave. I mean, for one thing, Tennessee's number one. I mean, how rare is that? It's even in '98, it didn't become number one until November when Ohio State lost. So, yeah, this is this is rare stuff, and and not only that, but but Tennessee so passes the eye test. People look at Tennessee with that offense and say, huh, what are we supposed to do against this? How do they score 52 on Alabama of all teams? I, I mean, there's just a, there's almost a mis- mystery quality about this team, which I think, I think it adds to its appeal. Like, Hey, they may score 50 points on anybody, Georgia included. Yeah, uh, I assume that you're sticking with your pick of winning out and beating Alabama a second time. Yes, and Alabama's got to do its share of the work. It's got to beat uh, LSU Saturday, got to beat Ole Miss. It's not home free. No, no, and we're still – I'm deep down hoping for Lane Kiffin versus Tennessee, but I don't think that's going to happen. That's a great storyline, I think, Tennessee versus – Alabama, I think it would unfold very much like the game at Neyland Stadium did. I still don't think Alabama – if Alabama had anybody that could cover Jalen Hyatt, it would have covered him by the fourth quarter, I think. Well, I actually believe that it would be more one-sided to the balls. Uh, let's take away that exchange fumble for a touchdown. Let's look at the fact that Tennessee, I thought, controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides. At halftime, I thought that. I thought Tennessee was going to end up winning that game by two touchdowns at halftime. And Dave, imagine, remember going into that game, we weren't sure about how Bryce Young coming off a shoulder injury. He'd already missed one game. He hadn't been throwing in practice. As great a player as he he is, we weren't sure how long he would last, how well he would play. Can you imagine that Alabama team without Bryce Young, who was phenomenal against Tennessee, but without him, that game would have been a runaway win for Tennessee. Well, no, it would have. He's John Adams. I'm Dave Hooker. Viles Automotive Group right there on Callahan, where integrity matters. They want, they need, and they appreciate your business. Big Orange Phillies on Maynardville Pike. Big Orange Phillies has great food. Billiards, a great place to watch the game. Darts, and they've got cornhole as well. You're going to love Big Orange Phillies on Maynardville Pike. He's John Adams. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.